From Happy Cat Studios in Indianapolis, Indiana, it's the Rick's Rambles podcast for the week of August 22nd, 2022. Fun facts. If you've been around me for any length of time, you know that I'm a rabid fan of the Andy Griffith Show. I love that show. I watch it every chance I get. I've learned a few life lessons from that show. I've had more than a few laughs, and that show has more than a few touching moments in it. This week, we've got 15 fun facts about the Andy Griffith Show. Number one, the characters were introduced on another show. Sheriff Andy Taylor played by Andy Griffith, and his son Opie, played by Ronnie Howard, were first seen in a February 1960 episode of Make Room for Daddy. The actress who played Aunt B also was featured in this episode, but her character's name was Harriet Perkins. Number two, the opening theme song was called The Fishing Hole. It was composed by Earl Hagen and Herbert Spencer. That's Earl. You hear whistling the song himself on the show's opening and closing credits. Everett Sloan composed the lyrics to this song, but they're never actually used in the show. Andy Griffith did, however, make a recording of the song on one of his albums. Number three, Andy pays homage to his father in the opening credits. At the beginning of the show, where you see Andy and Opie walking down the road together, you will see Opie throwing a rock and Andy nodding and shaking his head in acknowledgement. This was Andy's personal tribute to his own father, who he said would shake his head up and down in the same manner to say good job when Andy did something perfectly. Number four, well, Barney Fife is the comic relief on that show, but it wasn't supposed to be that way. Andy was supposed to be the funny one. The original concept of the show was for Andy to be the show's resident comedian, kind of a homey Will Rogers-type philosopher. Andy would comment and make jokes about the show's other characters. But after seeing Don Knotts in the very first episode, Andy knew that Barney would be the show's resident funny man, and Andy would be his straight man. Did you know Andy and Barney were related in the show? Well, yes. In the first episode, Andy would occasionally call Barney Cousin Barney, and they were written as cousins. This idea was dropped without explanation after a few episodes. Number six, one of my favorite characters in the show is Floyd the Barber, played by Howard McNear. He had trouble standing up because he had suffered a stroke. Howard McNear had trouble standing. A special stool was built to make it appear Floyd was standing when he was in fact half sitting or sometimes leaning. Floyd was also often seen sitting in his barber chair or sitting on a bench outside of his shop. Howard's stroke had left his left side paralyzed and in the later episodes you'll notice he never moved his left hand. Speaking of Floyd the Barber, take a good look at the calendar on the barber shop. It's always in the month of February. Well, kind of a sad note, Frances Bouvier, the actress who played Aunt B, did not care for Andy Griffith. Sadly, this rumor is true. Frances, for whatever reason, never quite liked Andy. Andy admitted he never quite understood her dislike. In 1972, long after this series was canceled, Andy and Ronnie Howard paid a visit to Frances's home, but they were turned away. In 1980, Shortly before her death, Frances told Andy that she regretted that they were not closer all those years. Well, a running gag in this show is number nine. Don Knotts, Barney Fife, of course, had a single bullet in his shirt pocket. Barney said rather Don Knotts said, during the run of the show, he received several thousand single bullets in fan mail. Number 10, Barney's middle name is often disputed. In various episodes, Barney's middle name is given as Milton, Oliver, and once as the middle initial P. Andy's middle name, however, stays the same. It is Andrew Jackson Taylor. 
Well, Barney's middle name is not the only thing that was disputed, so was Andy's home address. Andy's home address is a subject of debate. In one episode, Aunt B says it's 332 Maple Street, but in another, Barney says it's number 24 Elm Street. Ronnie Howard, of course, played Andy's son, Opie, but why the name Opie? Well, the name Opie for Andy's son came from Opie Cates. Opie was a prominent band leader in the 1930s and 1940s. Both Andy Griffith and the show's producer, Sheldon Leonard, were admirers of Cates and decided to pay homage to him by naming one of the characters Opie. Speaking of names, why the name Ange for Andy? It doesn't seem like a logical nickname. If his name was Andy, why did Barney call his pal Ange? Well, Ange was Don Knotts' real-life nickname for Andy Griffith. It was just a form of Andy and Griffith connected together. Well, it was a different time and there was only one African-American with a speaking part in the entire run of the Andy Griffith show. Mayberry may seem like a utopia to some, but multicultural it wasn't. In the show's 248 episodes, Rockney Tarkington was the only African-American to ever have a speaking role in the show. He played Opie's football coach in the 1967 episode, Opie's Piano Lesson, which, by the way, is a fantastic episode. And number 15, The Andy Griffith Show left the air rated number one. Only three shows in television history have ever left the air while holding the number one spot in the ratings. The Andy Griffith Show, of course, left at number one. Do you know what the other two were? In 1957, it was I Love Lucy. And in 1998, it was another of my favorites, Seinfeld. There you have it, some fun facts all about The Andy Griffith Show. One of the great joys of my life is understanding that as we age, it's important for us to exercise our brains, to try new things, to stay about physical illnesses and things like dementia, and kind of giving that information out to encourage folks in my age range to stay active. Something I've recently learned that has just been fascinating and has made me feel so good is that the listeners of my podcast trend a lot older than the typical podcast listener in the United States. That makes me feel like I'm getting my message across. And that's what today's good news story is. It's about using leisure activities to stave off dementia. Doing crafts, playing an instrument, or reading a book might lower your risk of dementia by a significant margin, according to new research. The analysis reviewed available studies on 2 million people comparing the effects of cognitive activities, physical activities, and social activities to the risk of getting dementia. This research was published in the journal Neurology, the medical journal of the American Academy of Neurology. Just a little bit of light reading I've been doing. And they widely define leisure pastimes as things people engaged in for pure enjoyment. After adjusting for factors such as age, sex, and education, researchers found that leisure activities overall were linked to a greatly reduced risk of dementia. And they break these into three categories. Mental activities consisted of intellectual pursuits like reading or writing for pleasure, watching television, listening to the radio, playing games or musical instruments, using a computer, and making crafts. Researchers found that people who participated in these activities had a 23% lower risk of dementia. Then they talked about physical activities that included walking, running, swimming, bicycling, using exercise gear, playing sports, yoga, and even dancing. Researchers found that people who participated in these activities 
activities have a 17% lower risk of dementia. And one that's so important, social activities. Those refer to activities that involve communication with others, and those include joining a social club, volunteering, visiting with relatives or friends, or attending religious services. Researchers found that people who regularly participated in these kinds of activities had a 14% lower risk of dementia. Previous studies have shown that leisure activities were associated with various health benefits, such as a lower cancer risk, reduction of atrial fibrillation risk, and a person's perception of their own well-being, says the study's author. Our research has found that leisure activities like making crafts, playing sports, volunteering, playing a musical instruments greatly reduce the risk of dementia. The team reviewed 38 studies from all around the world, which together looked at over 2 million people who did not have dementia and followed them for at least three years. The analysis suggests that being active mentally, physically, and socially has great benefits, and there are plenty of activities that are easy to incorporate into daily life that might be beneficial to the brain. Leisure activities do reduce the risk of dementia. Future studies will include larger sample sizes and longer follow-up time to reveal more links between leisure activities and dementia. What kind of leisure activities do you do? Do you garden? Do you walk? Do you ride a bike? Do you play chess? Or do you attend and participate in religious services or service groups or social organizations? All those things that we all can do that don't take a ton of effort can greatly reduce our risk of dementia as we age. Today's good news story. You'll never know how much I appreciate you taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to my podcast. Hopefully, I bring back some good memories. Hopefully, you learn a thing or two and I bring a smile to your face. And if I've done that, well, then my job here is complete. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest thing to do is just share it on your own social media. Let folks know what you're listening to. If you'd like to support it financially, well, there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can go to a site that's in the show description called Ko-Fi or Coffee and buy me a cup of coffee. Or you can go to my store and have your very own Happy Cat Studio t-shirt, coffee mug, or other piece of merchandise. And don't forget, you can also find nostalgia and good vibes from Rick's Rambles on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, as well as this podcast. Once again, thank you for listening. Every Saturday night, several thousand of my friends and I gather virtually around the virtual TV screen and watch a program called Svengoolie. Svengoolie is a old-time horror and monster movie host out of Chicago that we just love watching together, and we tweet along about the movie. We have so much fun. I'm a big fan of these old-time monster movies. So from Oliver Hunt, in a nod to my Svengoolie fans, his list of the top ten classic monster movies. Number one, Dracula. Well, Bella Lugosi pioneered the style of Dracula we know today. Almost every Dracula has some kind of Lugosi influence, right? Well, he was unfortunately typecast after this, but nobody played the count quite as convincingly as Bella did. He was unable to escape that typecasting and eventually just embraced it, even being buried in his trademark Dracula cape. Number two, The Bride of Frankenstein. What a fantastic movie. The Bride of Frankenstein from 1934 brings back the legend legendary monster Frankenstein and Boris Karloff and adds Elsa Lanchester long before her Katie Nana part in Mary Poppins. The Bride of Frankenstein is one of the most iconic movie monsters, but guess what? She was only on the screen for 90 seconds. Number three, The Mummy. Well, while the Brendan Fraser version holds a special place in some of our hearts, 
I'll admit, not mine. It's interesting to see how it compares to the original. The King of Monsters, Boris Karloff himself. Dark, shadowy, and mysterious. It's a fantastic movie. Number four, The Invisible Man. Claude Rains from Casablanca and from the film Notorious starred first as The Invisible Man in 1933. This movie has special effects that really are far ahead of its time. Number five, Phantom of the Opera. One of the best romantic monster movies ever, it's called, and I love this movie. What a fantastic movie. Now, number six on Oliver's list is one I disagree with because I think it should be number three. It's The Creature from the Black Lagoon. It is my personal favorite monster movie. Filmed in 3D, it's an incredible movie, and to me, it's kind of believable because there still is a lot of wilderness left in the world, and I think there are creatures we have yet to discover. Number seven, one of the monster mashup movies, Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. There are a few things better than a monster mashup, and this one does it well. Number eight, The Son of Dracula. Lon Chaney Jr., who also plays a wolfman, shows up here as Dracula's son. It is a fun, fast-paced movie. Number nine, The Mummy makes another appearance in The Mummy's Tomb. And number 10, again, I think this one should be higher on the list, King Kong. The monster movie, the beat all monster movies, perhaps. There you go from Oliver Hunt, his top 10 list of the best classic monster movies. And it's time for our special days for this week, Monday the 22nd. It's National Tooth Fairy Day, and it's National Eat a Peach Day. Tuesday the 23rd is Buttered Corn Day, National Cuban Sandwich Day, and it's National Sponge Cake Day. Wednesday the 24th, International Strange Music Day, National Peach Pie Day, and it's National Waffle Day. Thursday the 25th is National Banana Split Day, and it's National Whiskey Sour Day. Friday the 26th, National Cherry Popsicle Day, and it's National Dog Day, I'm going to need to see pictures of your dogs. Saturday the 27th is National Banana Lovers Day and it's Pony Express Day. And we'll wrap up the week on Sunday the 28th when it's National Bowtie Day, National Read a Comic Book in Public Day, and it's National Red Wine Day. And that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of the Rick's Rambles Podcast. I sure hope you've enjoyed the show as much as I've enjoyed making it. So until next week, be kind to as many people as you can as often as you can. You can. We'll start right now and we'll make the world a better place. <laughs>